0: So we, uh, last week started this series uh, called Postcard Epistles. These are these little letters that are in the scripture that sometimes get overlooked. But they're little letters letters with big truths. And today we're focusing on, well last week today and next week we're focusing on this little letter that Paul wrote to his friend and brother Philemon. talking on the theme of being transformed by gospel love. So Philemon, the whole book is, the whole letter is only 25 verses. So I'm going to read the whole letter again as we did last week. And then we're going to look at verses 8 through 16 today. So Philemon, I'll read the whole letter and then we'll pray. And we'll get into verses 8 to 16. Paul writing, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Apphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and toward all the saints, and that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore... Though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I would rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and me. I am sending him back. Uh, You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I have wished to keep with me, that on your behalf you might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might, be, might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever... No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would receive me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention that you owe me even your own self, besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But, while, but meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that your prayers, through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Apaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greet you, as do Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And Father, we pray that you would uh, do for us again today what you so long to do, which is to open the eyes of our understanding that we might know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of your love for us that we would see, Lord, what it is you've accomplished on our behalf through the Lord Jesus. Father, give us your vision. Lord, give us your heart, your desire to be changed, to be made like Jesus. And give us the confidence in what you've done. The confidence in your gospel that you, you can and you will and you are changing us, transforming us with this love. Father, we commit this day to you. We commit this time in Your in your Word. We commit the time together as we eat. We commit, Lord, all of it. And ask, God, that You would use this for Your glory and for our good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, Amen. Amen. The Gospel changes people. It really does. God wants to change us. God wants to take what is broken and make it whole. God wants to take what is lacking and fulfill it. God wants to take what is unloving and make it loving in the same way He is loving. God can do that and God does do that. Looking at this little letter, this very personal letter, we see a great example of this. In the verses we're going to look at today, we're really going to see how God has already changed Paul. Paul, if you remember, was once Saul, someone who hated Christians, someone who thought he was doing God's service by persecuting Christians, and God got a hold of his life. Jesus interrupted his life and showed him how he needed to change and how he would change him. And did God change Saul so much that he began to be called Paul, so much so that he began to preach the Jesus that he used to slander and blaspheme. So much so that he began to love the people that he used to hate and persecute. And Paul, who had been changed, is writing this letter to Philemon, who he's seen God has changed, in reference to Onesimus, who is now seen God is changing. And so this whole section especially, this whole book, this whole letter, but this whole section especially is about how gospel love changes people. What does that change look like? And it's important for us to know what that change looks like because when we know what that change looks like, we can say, all right, Lord, I want to cooperate with your Holy Spirit and I want to see that change in my life. I want to to see this take place. I want to be transformed. And so we we, we get this first section in verses 8 to 11, and we see that Paul is really testifying to the change that he's seen in Onesimus, this runaway slave whom he met in Rome, or at least connected with in Rome. And we pick it up in verse 8, and Paul says, uh, he says, though I might be bold, he writes to Philemon, though I might be bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I'd rather appeal to you. So so Paul is is approaching Philemon and he's saying, listen, I'm not ignoring the fact that I'm an apostle, a sent one of Jesus, and therefore I have the authority to command you to do what Jesus says we should do. I I have that authority. He says, but I don't want to come to you in that authority. I want to relate to you as an equal. I want to come to you as a brother, as one who is co-loved the way I am. And And I want to approach you this way. And I want to exhort you this way. And this is really important because this, this gospel love that we talk about, this love that was demonstrated, that was made accessible to us through the work of Jesus, this love does something amazing. This love changes our status. Now in our daily and age when we're always about equality, we're always griping about how unequal things are, and there's a good place for that. We really don't, though, have a clue about how unequal things can be. (laughs) In the first century, there was such a divide between not just rich and poor, but slave and free, Jew and Gentile, Hellenist and Scythian. There were so many divisions, so many differences, that it was just, the way Rome kept its peace was by what they called the Pax Romana, which was like peace by force. That was the only way they could keep the Roman Empire together, together, by, by might. And yet Paul, even though he has a spiritual authority, says, Look, I don't want to keep this thing together. I don't want to pursue a unity or a love based on my authority in Jesus. I want to do it based on the love of Jesus that you and I both share. This is really important for us to think about. Because the change that he brings in us is a change that brings an equality of status. And so because Paul is going to ask Philemon, the slave master, to treat the slave as his equal, he comes to Philemon as an equal. And and this this is scriptural. This is gospel. This is what the Bible says. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 3. He says, For we are all children of God, listen, through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's in believing the gospel that we become God's kids. It's not an automatic thing. But we're all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Listen, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying this is the great equalizer. That we all needed the Savior, and Jesus is Him. When we put our faith in Him, we realize uh, that, that we needed His death on the cross to pay for our sins. We realize that His resurrection guarantees a, a justified position before God for us. And in realizing that, we recognize that we've all been adopted as sons and daughters into God's family. We are on equal footing. Now, that doesn't seem so revolutionary to us because we kind of assume that's the way it should be. That's never the way it was before the gospel. Ever. Anywhere. That's not the way it is in many countries today. It's interesting, it's funny, because you get the impression sometimes in our culture that that it was the secularists, the humanists, that said we all should be equal, but actually it's the gospel that planted that seed, that laid that foundation. And Paul is saying, listen, he's coming to Philemon and saying, listen, I'm coming to you as an equal because I'm going to ask you to treat Onesimus as an equal. And he says of Onesimus, so the first time he, he tells us what's going on is in verse 10. I can imagine when Philemon starts reading this letter or hears this letter read out in the church since it was addressed to the church as well, that he hears, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Now, Onesimus is is what we call a slave name. It means helpful. That's what his name means, but it was a name that would be given by a master to a slave. Names are important in Scripture because names show who has authority over you. God names things and then then God has authority. God told Adam, name the animals because we are to have dominion over the earth as stewards to take care of the earth. Naming is important. So uh, uh, in this culture, uh, a master would name his slave, kind of saying, now I have authority over you and this is what I expect you to be. And so it was a very common name to be called Helpful because I want you to be helpful. And I can imagine when Philemon hears the name Onesimus, he's like, oh no, Onesimus. Because we get the indication that we'll see next week that that Onesimus cost Philemon something. That that Philemon had a loss. But he says, Paul says, I'm appealing to you for my son Onesimus, who I have begotten while in chains. Interesting. Interesting. Paul here is wanting to testify that, listen, very to put it very bluntly, Onesimus has become a Christian. Now we don't know the details here. We don't know if, if um, Onesimus left because he stole something and he, was, he knew he was going to get caught and so he was afraid. So he left and he happened to bump into Paul when Paul was in Rome writing, in prison writing this stuff. We don't if it was that way. We don't know if he just was sick of being a slave and so he left and so he could survive. He stole so he could survive and then happened to bump in the Paul. We don't know if he actually stole on, if he, when he did steal something that he left, he went to Rome and thought, I, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid I'm going to get caught because you got to know if a slave ran away, it could, it could be really bad for him. He could be killed. He could be beaten. He could be branded on the forehead. Not a pleasant thing to happen. And so maybe he sought out Paul knowing Paul was close to his master Philemon saying, help tell me what to do. So we don't know the exact circumstances, but we do know from Paul's own writing that Paul, in dealing with Onesimus, told him about Jesus, called him to believe in Jesus, and led him to believe in Jesus. This is awesome. And I love the fact that Paul uses this language, uses it other places, that this change that took place is a change that comes from new life. He even uses language that is about procreation, doesn't he? He, he, he introduces Onesimus to Jesus, he calls him to believe, and he describes that process as sort of being a spiritual father to Onesimus. This also gives us an indication that the sort of process in someone becoming a Jesus follower isn't just an instantaneous thing. It's not just like, let's get him to pray a certain prayer or sign a card or just get baptized. It's an investment as a father invests in a child. But Paul put this way about the Corinthians as well, and Paul, Paul who planted the church in Corinth as well, he, here's what he says about his relationship with the Corinthian church. He says, I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. Now, the, the good news, the gospel, is likened unto this, a seed in Scripture. This is kind of the analogy Paul's using. He says, I kind of implanted that seed in you, and then God made it grow, and you came to faith in Jesus. This is what he did. Now, this is important because all this talk about being transformed by gospel love means nothing if we're just looking to imitate. If we're just looking to say, okay, I like that Christian ethic, I want to identify, be identified by that Christian ethic, and therefore I'll mimic that Christian eth- ethic, guess what? You're actually never going to mimic the Christian ethic. Because it's not just about a set of morals, it's about a radical, inside-out transformation. That only Jesus can bring about, only God the Spirit can bring about So the work of Jesus in our hearts. It's something supernatural that has to take place. In fact, Jesus used the same kind of idea, likening new life to a birthing process. Jesus says in John chapter 3, he's replying, he's talking to a religious person, and he says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This religious person had noticed that Jesus could do miracles, recognized there was something supernatural about Jesus, was attracted to Jesus, uh, went to Jesus at night because he didn't want to maybe risk his reputation, but still, he wanted to know who this Jesus guy was, and Jesus said, let me cut to the chase. What you really need is a spiritual rebirth. It's not just that you, you need more knowledge. You need a spiritual rebirth. In fact, he says to him in the same context, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. I believe the, that reference to water is the washing of the water of the Word, the truth of what God says. You need something to happen. See, this transformation we're talking about, this transformation that Paul's testifying, this change that Paul's testifying of in Onesimus was a supernatural change. God did it. Only God can do it. Guys, listen. As I say this, I sense some of you feel condemned. And some of you feel like, well, I must not be a Christian. Because I ain't seeing no change in my life. But this is not a message of condemnation. This is a message of hope. If God is calling us to something that only He can do, guess where your faith has to be? Only in Him. It can't be in yourself. It's only in him, Lord, you're going to have to do this. If this is what you do, and I can't do it, then I have to say, Lord, I surrender. You have to do this. You have to do this transformation of me. And we read the testimony here, that the same way, the same God who changed Paul, the same God who changed Philemon, has now changed Onesimus. The same God who changed me, is the same God who can change you. This is what he's promised and provided for us through the gospel. Now he says to Philemon, look, he's my now son in the faith, whom I have begotten while in change, he says. And then in verse 11 he says, who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. Well, this is great because this, we'll talk more about how Philemon was probably, I'm sorry, Onesimus was probably unprofitable next week when we look at verse 18. But it's important to know that that there's something happened. The change was not just that, that Onesimus was like, oh, I'm so happy now. Oh, I have a weight lifted off of me. I'm sure he experienced all those kinds of things as we do when we recognize that we've been forgiven and that we're accepted in Jesus. There's a radical weight lifted off our shoulders that happens. But it was more than that, that there was a transformation that was happening that was beginning to benefit other people. That this is the change that God wants to bring. He wants to bring a change that you begin to be a benefit to somebody. And and, and often in areas where you never would have been a benefit to them. That God begins to use you to show something of himself. You see, here's the way it works. When we know that we're loved by God, being loved by God teaches us to love like God. That the same God, the Spirit, who showed us how loved we are through the cross of Jesus, that same God, the Spirit, is working in us to teach us to love like Jesus. This is exactly like what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen to this. Peter says, You were cleansed from your sins, past tense, when you obeyed the truth. That's code for the gospel. When you obeyed the gospel. As a side note, it says obeyed because the gospel is a command. I want you to understand that God commands us the creator commands us as the creatures to obey the gospel this is the command believe believe what God has done you can choose that believe if you are senting that command by God saying you need to believe then obey the gospel believe the truth because here's what happens you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth that's what happens you're cleansed from your sins so now he says you must show sincere love God's motivation to cleanse you with sincere love, so now show sincere love, notice, to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Why does he give us that command? Why do we say that we're supposed to love that way? Because that's how we're loved. Do you understand? That the gospel is not just like, there's a God who decided not to chuck you into hell. Now that's good news, but it's not, it's not the kind of news, it's not enough good news, enough of the good news, to keep us from, or to create in us a love. When we realize that God so loves the world, that He deeply loves those that He's made, that He was willing to send His only Son so that, so that we could be in Him, we could know Him, we could know the love that He has always had, that He has always been, that He loves us so fervently and passionately, guess what begins to happen? We are transformed. And we learn to love each other the same way. This is what happens. It's a change that He brings about. Paul's saying, this is the change I see in Onesimus. Paul's saying, look, look, I'm, I'm coming to you, Philemon, as an equal because I want you to treat this guy as an equal, which we're going to get to in a second. And he says, because I'm telling you, he has, God's changing this guy. The Lord has saved this guy. Hmm. <clears throat> then in verse 12, Paul begins to appeal to the change that he already sees in Philemon. He first says, okay, Onesimus has changed. In a sense, you get a, you get a sense that he's saying, hey, Jesus is changing Onesimus the way he changed you. And he appeals to that change he knows is in Philemon. In verse 12, here's what he says. I'm sending him, uh, sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own Heart. Now, the word for heart that Paul uses there is not that Greek word cardia that means your innermost being. It's a word that it's often translated, it can be translated, my own bowels, which sounds gross, but <laughs> it's the idea that this is the seat of your feelings, you know, like you have a gut feeling kind of a thing. But it's more than that. It's where compassion comes from. In, in and in a sort of first century understanding, that's the way they would describe the feeling of compassion or affection, strong affection towards somebody. So that when, when Paul says, look, he's my heart, Paul says, man, I love this guy. He's not ignorant that, uh, that Onesimus has wronged Philemon, but he says, I love this guy. Take this guy in just like that. In fact, when he says receive him, it doesn't just mean let him come back, you know, don't beat him. It's, and it's a stronger word than that. It's a, it's a word that means receive him back into fellowship. Welcome him into your home. And, and you get a sense here that Paul's saying, listen, Philemon, I know that God's done this work in you and I know that God's changed you and he's changed you in a way that you're going to value the feelings of others. That you, Philemon, I know you love me as your brother, Paul. And because I love this guy, that's going to be enough to at least initially motivate you to love this person. You ever been in that kind of situation where you you love somebody but someone that that person loves you don't like so much? But because you love that person that you love, you think, okay, I'm going to love that person because if if you love that person, I'll love that person. (laughs) (laughs) Greg said that out loud. Whoa, okay. (laughs) Julie's not here, though. You're safe. (laughs) Now, now here's the reality. Here's the reality. The the reality is Paul's saying, listen, I I know, Philemon, that this change has happened in you. He's expecting them to act according to the change that's happened to you. This is a good thing. This is not a guilt trip that he's putting on Philemon. This is an encouragement. He's knowing how much Philemon has changed. He says to him in verse 13, "...whom I wish to keep with me..." This is now Paul's talking about Onesimus. "...I wish to keep Onesimus with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel." Now we don't know exactly again what Onesimus was doing for Paul once he was converted, once he knew Jesus, but he was really practically helpful to Paul. Maybe he was running errands for Paul. We know that he went with the team that began to that took the letter of the Colossians to Colossi. We know that. So we don't know exactly what what he did, but Paul says, "Man, this guy's useful for gospel work." and here's what he's doing he's he's encouraging Philemon to be willing to continue to invest in gospel work he's assuming Philemon wants to invest in gospel work he's assuming that Philemon wants to see the gospel go out why? because this is what happens when God changes us when we believe in Jesus we want other people to know about Jesus and we want to invest our resources time, talent, treasure into seeing that gospel go out that's what we want to do He, he believes that, 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 that Philemon wants to invest. And he also Paul also considers that Onesimus is a worthy investment. One of the reasons we don't pass a plate, one of the reasons we don't make a big deal about money, is not because we don't need money. Every organization needs money. It's because we assume that those of you that are Jesus followers want to invest in this church. And the Lord's going to stir you as he's going to stir you to invest in this church to see the gospel go out. We assume that's the case. And we assume if you're not yet a Jesus follower, you don't want to hear us gabbing on about money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't want you to think that's what it is. We don't want you to think it's about knowing Jesus, not about opening your wallet necessarily. But, but Paul sees that now that Philemon's changed, that, that he says, man, I know that Philemon's going to want to invest. And he's kind of here hinting, you know, I'm going to send him back to you. But I've got to say, this guy's going to be good for the kingdom. He's going to be good for gospel work. I think he's a good investment. But then, verse 14, what does he say? But without your consent, Paul says, I want to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. Now, I love this because, uh, you know, Paul wants to honor the choices that Philemon's going to make. Now, at, at this point, some of you might be thinking, okay, when are you going to talk about the slavery issue? Because. Are we forgetting that, that Philemon was a, a, a master over slaves and that uh, Onesimus you know, was a slave? And wouldn't he just say, dude, set him free? You know, wouldn't he just say that? We're going to talk more about that next week and about the whole issue of slavery because it's a really important issue for us to deal with. But for now, let's just kind of focus on the relationship and remember that, that what's going on here is Paul saying, I recognize that this is your choice, Philemon. It's, 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 it's up to you to do with this what you want to do. He said, I don't want to coerce you, I want to let you make your own choice. Now this is important because this tells something about the gospel love. Gospel love is not coercive. It's persuasive, but it's not coercive. God doesn't twist your arm and say, love me or die. God pours out grace on the entire earth. There's a, the theological term is common grace that rain falls on the just and the unjust. God pours out common grace to the world. God gives every good gift and every perfect gift that everyone on this planet experiences. That comes from God, whether they acknowledge it or not, because He's good. It comes from Him. That's not coercion, it's persuasion. It's God wanting to demonstrate to those He's created that He longs for a relationship with them. That He created them, not because He needs a relationship, but because He knows the best thing He can give them is not a beautiful planet, but Himself. And so He wants to persuade us of that case, of that truth, through the good gifts that He does for us. Through the very issues that we have in our life. In fact, interesting, even the bad stuff that seems like this could never be good from God, even the bad stuff, God says, I've done that on purpose to bring you to myself. Acts 17 talks about, uh, Paul talks about that God has pre-appointed our times and our seasons and our boundaries that we might grow for God though he's not far from any of us. So if you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus and you're thinking, I don't... You say this Jesus is good, this God is good, but my life is rubbish right now. Hey, even the rubbishness of your life is God saying, I want you. Paul's saying to Philemon, Philemon, I I am going to... I trust that God so changed you that you're going to make honorable choices. That you're going to make honorable choices. I don't have to coerce you because that's not authentic love. I can just say, here's what I think good. Why don't you ask God what you should do? This is is what the Scripture says. Paul has this attitude quite a bit in 2 Corinthians, and again dealing with sort of helping the poor in this context in 2 Corinthians 9. Paul says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. He's not expecting them not to give. If you read the context, he's praising them for how generous they've already been. He's just saying, look man, I'm not trying to again coerce you. I'm just saying, I know God's changing you, so here's an opportunity for you to show that change, to show the gospel love that you've received in Christ. Paul's saying the same thing to Philemon here. He's appealing to the change that's already taking place. Know that's the case. When we say to you, if any of us say to you, hey, would you be willing to, to do this ministry or serve in this team? Would you be willing to help with this situation? No, that's not just because we're so desperate for your help. Sometimes we are. <laughs> But it's more than that. It's because we see God doing something in you and we want you to grow and that good transformation is taking place. So we say, would you consider serving in this way? It's not coercion, it's persuasion because we see God's started to change that He's going to continue in your life. This is what Paul's, how Paul's treating Philemon. Now lastly, verses 15 to 16. Now Paul, what he wants to do here is really highlight the change to the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. Because a change is taking place. He says, For perhaps he departed for a while from, for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. Now Paul's saying, listen, he's, not, he's kind of very diplomatically talking about the fact that In fact, the word he uses for departed is a very kind of minor word. Because the truth is, he probably ran away, but he doesn't use the word for he escaped or ran away. Uh, He was gone for a season. Mm. But it's like he's saying, hey, you know what? Maybe this is what God is, Paul's suggesting, maybe God sovereignly used Onesimus' bad choice to bring a good change. Mm. I'll tell you what, this is the testimony of the New Testament. Mm. This is testimony of all Scripture. People make bad choices. God uses the bad choice to bring good for people. People make more bad choices. God uses the bad choice to bring good for people. <laughs> that doesn't make excuses for us to make bad choices. It just shows that God is so good and so sovereign. He knows I do. Let me give you a couple examples. You guys know the Old Testament story of Joseph. Great story. The end of the book of Genesis. Joseph is the favored son. His father makes sure all the other brothers know he's the favorite son. The sons get jealous. They beat him up. They sell him to slavery. He ends up being a slave. But he's a very bright young man, so he, he comes to the, to the head slave of his household until his master's wife acu- wants to have sex with him, and then he has to run away from that. He goes in the jails thinking, God, what's going on? Then God gives him these dreams, and he's exalted to a place where he's second in all of Egypt to the Pharaoh. And then when there's a massive famine in that part of the world, what happens? Joseph's brothers who sold him the slavery come looking for food, and they don't recognize Joseph. He plays with them a little bit. He had a bit of fun. (laughs) But what ends up happening is when they realize it's Joseph, they think that's it. We're dead. Because he has all this power. And this is what Joseph says. He says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring alive, bring it about uh, uh, as it is this day to save many people alive. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Of course, the biggest way this happens is with Jesus himself, the gospel himself. Remember when Peter's preaching about Jesus on the day of Pentecost, in next chapter 2, listen to this. Peter preaches to thousands of Jews who have just heard these guys all pray in tongues and thinking, what is going on? He, he, he prays, and he, or he speaks to them, and he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. In other words, you can't deny that God did these things through him which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Do you see this? What happened? God says, I'm going to send you someone who you cannot deny is from me. But it's my plan that you're going to actually deny him, crucify him, and through that crucifixion, I'm going to provide for your salvation. Because once he's crucified, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to raise him from the dead because he's my only begotten son and he cannot be defeated by death. He will defeat death.